So Money Episode 376, Patrice Washington. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. It is countdown to my CNBC show. We premiere on March 23rd, two weeks away. And so please DVR this or set your alarm clock so that you remember to be in front of a television on March 23rd at 10 p.m. Check out the premiere of CNBC's Follow the Leader. I am hosting the show. It's big. What can I say? It's a big deal. And I'm really excited to introduce this show to everybody. I've been working really, really hard on it. It's been a passion project, but also a serious project. We're really bringing some invaluable insights, advice, skills, ideas to the public through the lenses of some of the world's biggest entrepreneurs and business leaders. And so for me, this was an absolute joy, dream come true. And I just hope that uh, it does well and that you like it. So check out Follow the Leader, the 23rd of March, 10 p.m. Pacific and Eastern, and then we can talk about it. We can stop talking about the anticipation of the show. Then we can actually talk about the show. That'll be exciting. Very excited also for today's guest. She is Steve Harvey's money maven, an accomplished author, financial expert, Patrice Washington. Patrice has dedicated herself to helping the masses move away from debt to mastering their money. And she knows this firsthand. She was $2 million in debt not too long ago, got out of that and rebuilt her career to now where she is giving advice on money management. She's a featured columnist, television commentator, radio host, author, speaker, leading authority on personal finance for women and youth. It's incredible. Her work has been featured in numerous newspapers and magazines all over. And she's been on Fox News, The Today Show. Every week, over 8 million listeners tune in to hear her Real Money Answers segment on the nationally syndicated Steve Harvey morning radio show. To say that she is accomplished is a complete understatement. And so we're going to learn from Patrice her own journey of wiping out $2 million in debt. How did she get there in the first place? That's where we start the conversation. Then we go into talking about digging your way out of debt, how she actually did it, not just emotionally, because emotionally, I mean, can you imagine getting into that kind of a hole, but tactically, practically, how did she rebuild her career? And how did she become the Steve Harvey money maven? How does one exactly get a title like that? Uh, I love Steve Harvey. And so this was a real fun story for me to hear. Here we go. Here is Patrice Washington. Patrice Washington, welcome to So Money. Very excited to connect with you and learn more about you. I feel like it's about time. I feel like it is about time, (laughs) right? We've been running in the same circles. I feel like you're very tall. It's hard to miss you. You're like strikingly beautiful and tall. And when I see you at conferences from like 50 yards away, I'm like, I need to talk to that woman. But then of course, like you get into the, into the rush of the conferences and you have to go to your things and your webinars and, or your seminars. So unfortunately you've never met in person, but I'm very excited now to have you on the show because You have an incredible story and, you know, today you are the money maven and you are a successful financial expert author, but it always 
it wasn't always this way, right? So let's just Not get enough. the bad news over with. Let's just go to the roughs. <laughs> let's get the, let's talk about the rough starts now. So then we can spend more of the show talking about your successes. But I'm, I'm really curious to learn about how you rebuilt your life and your finances after your 2008, as you say, your seven figure business crumbled, seven figure business crumbled. What were you doing? What was the seven figure business? And I mean, I don't have to guess that in 2008, it was a hard time for everybody, but what, what specifically happened to you? Well, when the recession hit um, and the real estate bubble burst, I was a real estate and mortgage broker. I had started in real estate at 19 as a sophomore in college and became a real estate and mortgage broker as a senior in college at 21 um, and really built this great business in Southern California. And the business was built on me educating other people and educating um, in churches and schools and nonprofits and really helping people uh, see a, a bigger vision for themselves, see what they could accomplish financially. And one of those goals was home ownership. And it's what I thought was going to be the key, Farnoosh, to like me just living this life for 60 years, doing my thing. I never saw anything else because I was making so much money at a really young age. And by 25, it was a seven figure business. And by 28, the real estate market crashed and I went crashing with it. And so after exhausting my savings, juggling properties for a couple of years and paying my employees out of my savings, out of my pocket, hoping and wishing and praying that the market would turn around quickly, which we all know that didn't happen. Um, you know, I lost everything. And I went from from that seven figure business to scraping up change to feed my daughter and just found myself in a very humbling place, you know, when you're the one in your family or amongst your friends who's quote unquote made it. And then you have to go back to those same people and ask to sleep on their couch. Uh, that that does a doozy. <laughs> that does a doozy on you, on your self-esteem and um and everything else. And so, yeah, by 2009, I was sleeping on my brother's couch in Atlanta, Georgia. I had moved from Southern California um, and was just happy to have a roof over my head. And um, and someone, my brother, give me a shot and an opportunity to rebuild without judgment. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where it started for me when I I kind of look back over my life at that time and thought through what gave me the most joy. Did I enjoy making a lot of money? Well, hell yeah, I did. Of course I did. <laughs> but what I enjoyed even more was the education piece. Um was seeing other people have their aha moments and and helping other people achieve their their dreams of home ownership or of starting a business or whatever that was. I didn't I didn't know that that could be a business for me one day. I didn't know that this life that I have today was even possible. Um, but that's what I wanted when I really took an assessment in 2009 of where I was. That's what I wanted. And that's what I went after. And and here we are today. And so when you say that you took an assessment, what really happened? I mean, what was the process to rebuild not just your vision, but your self-confidence too? Because like, as I always say, like during the recession, and I was also a victim of the recession, I got laid off. And it's not just like you lose Mm -hmm. these tangible things like your home and your job and your money, but you also lose your bearings. Psychologically, you go through the ringer. And so while you might have you might be able to see a day where you could reaccumulate those things deep down, personally, emotionally. That 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 also needs a lot of work in TLC. So, how did you really um, find mm-hmm. the motivation and the courage to jump back and say, "I'm I'm not only going to overcome this, but I'm going to be even more successful." You know, I really relied heavily on my faith. I really, really did, and. I have always believed and I was taught as a kid that you don't go through anything just because like every circumstance, every situation um, that you go through is supposed to teach you a lesson and you're supposed to grow from it. And one of the things, even through tears, through sobbing and and crying all the time, because that's really, you know, for a period of time, what was happening. I was, you know, I had a little baby, you know, and she would be crying and I would just break down crying. I couldn't even console her because I was in my mess, you know, and I was just crying all the time, asking God, why, why? I've been a good person. I've tried to be in integrity. I, I thought I was doing everything the right way. How did I get here? And the, the thing that kept me going was understanding that this was a 
season and I would not be here forever. And and I just had to keep telling myself that like this is a season. This time came to teach you something. You have to look for the lessons. What are the lessons? You know, I, I realized that I had to take some form of responsibility. Like, yes, we're we're in this negative economy and there's a lot going on. But what could you have done differently? What might you have done differently? Could you have asked somebody for help? Could you you know, I was constantly soul searching for myself and I realized, you know, honestly, that if I made it about everyone else and I made it about the economy and the president and the, and the this and the that, those other people and those outside forces would be in control of how I could get back up. But if I really looked at myself, you know, then I could be in control. Then I could go, you know what? And when I have it again, I'm not going to do that. Oh, no, I won't do that. Won't go there. Won't use them. Won't, you know, I just I really just took inventory mm. of everything that I felt like I could have done. And I relied on my faith. And I I talked to myself a lot. Like, I know people. What did people you tell yourself? Crazy. What did you tell yourself? <laughs> you know, I used to tell myself because I had, you know, a Range Rover back in the day. And I used to say range, see Range Rovers driving by me, um, you know, when I was in this old beat up yellow van <laughs> that we owned at the time. And I would I would look at the vans and I would say, you know, been there, done that on my way back. Like, oh, no, don't worry. I'm coming back for you. I would just say things <laughs> that would just keep me motivated. Yeah, I would just yeah. talk to inanimate objects, you know, and just keep me motivated. And I'm I'm a big believer in affirmations. I didn't know they were called affirmations when I was a kid, but I would say things to myself over and over again. Like, you're good. You're good, but you're going to be great. You're going to be amazing. Oh, boy, they better they better not play with you. I just get in the mirror and say, I am the CEO of my life. Like, I'm control. I'm in control of this. Like I call the shots. No one else calls the shots. And everything that I do has to lead to me, you know, steering my life back in the right direction. So I don't deal with negative people. I don't put myself in places where there's a whole bunch of negativity going on. I have to keep my mind focused on positive things. And I literally would just talk to myself all the time. Um, and when I couldn't do it, my husband was very supportive. When he would fall off, I would say very positive things to him. And when I would fall off, he would speak back into me. And we really relied on each other during a time when couples were breaking up because of losing everything. Right. And because of the pressure, we leaned on each other even more. Wow. Sounds a lot like The Secret. I know. You know what's so funny, Farnoosh? Before The Secret ever came out, was like ever this big thing, because one of the teachers in The Secret is actually my mentor now, and uh, Lisa Nichols. And, you know, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I didn't know any, nobody, you listen, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles in the hood, girl. Nobody knew about laws <laughs> of attraction and all this There was stuff. no secret. It thing, was all reality. There was no secret. You know, there was nothing. Um, you know, but some of this stuff honestly came naturally to me. Um, you know, I used to make vision boards and I didn't know what's called a vision board, but I was in third grade and I would put everything that I wanted on one of those. Um, remember those boards you used to use for presentations, the same ones that people use now, sure, you know, like for, for vision boards and stuff. Easel, yeah, yeah. Those poster boards. Yeah. yeah. I used to do that in like third grade. Like I wanted to be student body treasurer like no lie in elementary school. And I had all this stuff posted up about, I will guard the money for the school. Like I thought it was a real job, like a real thing. And I made this big deal about it. And I looked at this thing over and over again. And I focused in on it. Like I was doing that in third grade. Hmm. It just, so it was, it was not the secret, but I'm a visual learner. And I, I kind of have like a bit of adult ADD, I think. So if I don't have something in front of me, it is hard for me to focus and I have to just keep coming back to that thing. So that's pretty much how I've been my whole life. Well, I completely agree that you are your most, your purest, your most honest self when you're a kid. And when you are a kid and you're envisioning what you want to be when you quote unquote grow up, it's not a coincidence that when you do grow up and you are following your passion, you're, you're listening to your instincts that you end up kind of in the same realm, in the same world. I mean, I, yeah. I wanted to be a waitress, but if you really think about it, I wanted to, 
I wanted to help and be of service and meet people and talk to people. Because when I was younger, I thought, oh my gosh, a waitress has the coolest job. She gets to work in like a fun restaurant. She'll never have to ask for a reservation. She can meet people. Um, <laughs> and like, so I, I love the idea of like bringing someone a hot meal. I thought that was like a cool thing. Like every, who, who doesn't love eating out? So I thought the waitresses were like the epitome of cool. And I was probably six years old. But, and that later transformed into like Farnoosh wanting to be a journalist because again, it's like serving people, right? Sharing, serving, communicating. And, um, so listen to your, your, your six year old self or, or go back and think about what your idea of, of greatness was back then. And it's probably true to this day. So that's a great story. The secret. Yeah. I haven't heard about the secret in a long time. I just feel like it's become such a big part of how we do things now. We don't call it the secret. We just call yeah, it, I think so. you know, believing in ourselves. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Um, you got back on your feet, obviously. You're Steve Harvey's money maven. How did that happen? Well, with Steve, uh, I actually met him when I was in college. So at the same time I was building up this love for real estate, I was his intern. I went to his show when it was just locally in uh, L.A. And uh, I really just wanted to beg him for money to start this, to revamp this organization on campus. And as soon as I walked in the door, they were like, no soliciting. And I'm like, well, they're not talking to me because I don't think this is soliciting. You know, I just ignored everything. And um, I hung around. I hung out basically soliciting um, and finally got to his manager who was like, you must be really persistent because people usually get put out by now. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You know, and he wasn't really he didn't mean it as a compliment, actually, at the in the moment, come to find out. But <laughs> he was um, calling security. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it did work out. Um, eventually, after a couple months, they did give me the money. I asked for five hundred and got two thousand. So good for good for us. We had a great year of events. Nice. Um, on campus. But they also said, do you want to be an intern? And I was so about my money, Farnoosh. I was like, well, is it a paid internship? Yeah. And they're like, well, no. And I said, oh, no, I'm OK. Thank you. I'm not interested because I don't I'm not trying to get into radio or broadcasting or anything. And then my dad made me quit my full time job because at the time I was doing real estate and I worked full time at a hotel. <laughs> wow. My dad was like, you're doing too much. You have to quit. And I quit the job and had had way too much time on my hands. I didn't know what to do with so much time that I was like, if I don't find something to do, I'll probably end up in trouble. And I called them back and said, do you still need an intern? And they said, yeah. And it it was supposed to be a 90 day internship. And I ended up getting hired on and I worked with him for two and a half years until I graduated from college. And so um, the relationship started there. I always saw him as as a mentor. He spoke at our graduation and everything. Kind of kept in touch but from a distance over the years Um, and then reconnected when I landed in Atlanta and he moved his operations to Atlanta. Uh, And by the time it was time for Real Money Answers for Every Woman to initially come out, I self-published that book in 2014. Someone on his team reached out to me and said, Hey, when does your book come out? And I said, like January 8th or whatever date it was. And they go, okay, Mr. Harvey wants to bring you on the radio. And I didn't even ask. And people are always blown away by, I didn't ask. And he told me that day during the interview, he said, you know why I would always help you? He said, because I always see you out there doing your best and doing the work and you never ask. Mm. You're like one of the only people that never ask, but you do the work. And um, he, you he should ask too. me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I just, yeah. you know, I, I cherished the relationship and I had seen how some people had, um, you know, just not done the right things. And sure, it mm-hmm. didn't even occur to me. Honestly, I was like, you know, I can get out here and self-publish. And I was already doing a lot of um, local TV and I was doing other radio shows and I was really out there building a name for myself. But for him to notice that and kind of go, man, I keep seeing you like doing things like we want to help you. And it was supposed to be one interview. Um, but it's been over two years now that I've been on every week, uh, as the money may have been. So yeah. And how has that helped book sales? Oh my gosh, it was phenomenal, Farnoosh. So with the self-published, with Real Money Answers for Every Woman, which I self-published, it was my second book. Um, I ended up doing over 18,000 copies, self-published. Yeah. And I know it was because, I mean, his fan base is phenomenal, but you know, I really, I relate to, to mm-hmm. the fan base. And I'm very transparent about my story and going back to that whole, you know, 
being on the floor sobbing and crying and, and asking God why and why me and all this, you know, at one point in my life, that is not something that I would have wanted to share with people. Who wants to share that ugly piece, right? But I was having a conversation on the radio one day with Steve and I ended up sharing that. And that was the thing um, just about two years ago now, that was the thing that totally shifted my career because then I became real to people. You know, it wasn't this, oh, great. You know, the story used to have a big gap in it. It was she started this successful business in college, grew up to a seven figure business. Here she is, the money maven. There was not that oh, like, yeah. relatable part where I lost everything in, in the recession. And I used to tell people personally and I used to tell them in smaller groups, but I hadn't said it in media yet. And saying it in media for eight million people to hear at one time was probably the scariest but most fulfilling thing that ever happened to me because that's when people said, oh my gosh, you know, I get her now. I feel her. I can relate to her. Um, and so it's been a big blessing. Can I just say I love Steve Harvey? I love him. And I was, <laughs> when, when that whole snafu with the Miss Universe, when I heard that, yeah. I immediately just felt so bad for him. I know I should have felt bad for the winner, but I I was like devastated for him because I was like, he's not a bad person. I'm sure it was an honest mistake. Like it couldn't have happened to oh, a nicer yeah. person. People who maybe don't know him, I don't know him, but I feel like he he takes his work very seriously. I, I get that's my sense yeah. of it. And I don't think he was like just there to collect a paycheck and just, you know, went not at all blank on the on the winner. I just think like, you know, he got confused and it's live and he's human. And so um, I like couldn't even watch. I would people are like, watch the video. It's crazy. I'm like, I didn't want to watch it because <laughs> I will be I so it sad for everybody. It did. But you know what? Um, he continues to me um, personally and just see him out professionally to be a great example of just staying in integrity when it comes to stuff like that, like not taking the easy route because he could have walked off the stage and just been like, whatever, they'll deal with it. But to come back out and take that hit, I think for me was a great lesson and just being okay with however the chips fall, as long as you stay true to yourself, you know, and that's, that's something else that I've learned from him just being in this space is that, you know, you have your lane and, um, and Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey and Lynette Calfani Cox and Brittany Castro, like all we all have in the budgetista, we all have our own lanes and it's okay to be who we are authentically um, and still support one another and all that great stuff. But it's okay to be who you are. Like it's okay to own your mistakes. It's okay to own your story and stand in your power because it is what it is. And no matter what our stories are, there's someone who can be inspired by it, you know, who can get their hope back or get their vision back. And so it's okay. And I love that, you know, he handled it like a champ, in my opinion, um, and took the good with the bad. So well put, I agree. Well, okay. Let's now talk about your money philosophy. Do you have an overarching financial philosophy? I'm sure you have a lot of ideas around money. Uh, that mm-hmm. are unique to you, but what would you say is your number one money mantra? Um, actually, well, my number one actually kind of comes from Steve too. And it's, you know, Steve taught me this quote back in the day when I was about 20 years old. He said, the worst thing you can do for a broke person is become one of them. The worst thing you can do for a broke person is become one of them. And it's basically really, it sounds harsh sometimes people think, but it's really about um, not giving to your own detriment. You know, like we want to be givers and we want to help people out, but sometimes we do it to a fault. And so the one that my husband and I live by is that other people's lack of planning is not our emergency. Mm. Other people's lack of planning is not our emergency. And we had to really, we have to stand on that um, because both of our careers are very visible and people see us all over the place doing all this stuff. And again, we're back to being, you know, the quote unquote ones who made it in the family. And so then that starts to mean that your family and friends, people you love very much, sometimes treat you as if you're their personal ATM. And so, or they think they can, or they would like to, right? And so we had to remind ourselves because we were in a place in 2009 where we were down and out. And if it weren't from my brother 
um, and, and, you know, giving us an opportunity and allowing us to sleep on his couch literally for three months and rebuild and stuff, we wouldn't be here. But there's a difference between someone who is typically a productive citizen who's fallen on hard times and someone who just will not get it together and will not step up and take responsibility. They want you to basically enable them. And so, you know, we're not above having some friends uh, well, really friends you can choose. So I won't say friends, more so family members that are in that place where they want us to um, be responsible every time they can't pay the rent or make a car note or this happens or that happens. Um, meanwhile, they want to live their lives however they choose to, you know. And so that is one where we have a full script, Farnoosh, on how to deal <laughs> with basically saying no to friends and family. And we had to make it up and we both stick to it. And when people come to us, well, you know, asking to borrow money, we have to say, you know, I lo- we love you. Um, and so we are very empathetic to what you're going through. However, we don't lend money. We just don't want to get into that. We don't want any want you to feel pressured to pay it back or figure a way out to pay it back. So here's what we can do. We can offer you a one time gift of X amount of dollars. And that X is not based on what they ask for. It's based on what's in our budget and what we feel comfortable giving. And once we give that one time gift, what you choose to do with it is your business. But understand it's a one time gift Hmm. and that's it. Has that worked? Hell yeah. (laughs) In other words, by worked, worked. I mean, they're grateful. They understand you don't ruin Mm -hmm. the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely has worked. I mean, of course, I've had some cousins that I haven't heard from in a while, but that's probably a good thing because they're hitting other people up for money. So, I mean, they took their one time gift. You know, when I see you, it's not that I didn't want to help you. I helped in the way that was okay for me. Because I believe in being a cheerful giver. So if I give to you and and there's a lot of um, nasty feelings that goes along with my gift, that's not a good thing. Like, that's not a good place to be in either. And I don't want to resent you. And I, I don't want to be mad with you. And I don't want you to hide from me at Christmas dinner or any of that. Because you know? <laughs> isn't like, that the truth? Yeah, I don't, you know, and I don't want you to have to take off your, your new shoes and put all old shoes when you see me coming because you don't want me to judge you for buying something new. I mean, there's so much baggage that comes with that whole, you know, borrowing money and, all, you know, it, it's it's just a lot. And so we just try to avoid it. And once we give you a gift, you know, it is what it is. Whatever you do with it is on you. I know I've done my part and whatever you used it for is what you used it for. I don't, I don't, feel any kind of way about it. And that's been really helpful for us to clear our conscience um, and also to set boundaries so that people know that, that it's not a revolving door over here. You do whatever it takes to make sure your business runs efficiently. I know this firsthand, but constant trips to the post office can get in the way. With Stamps.com, you'll be able to spend less time at the post office and more time growing your business. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easy. Use your own computer and printer to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package. Stamps.com does all the thinking for you. With the digital scale, it will calculate the exact postage needed and helps you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Join over 500,000 small businesses that use Stamps.com and never go to the post office again. For me, Stamps.com makes it so easy to send out copies of my books when I do a giveaway or share it with editors, and it comes in handy when I have to get a contract in the mail, all from the comfort of my own office. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code SOMONEY for this special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in So Money. That's Stamps.com. Enter So Money. You mentioned uh, in previous articles, I'm reading an article here about you from the New York Post, that your husband and you uh, were about $2 million in the hole in 2008 when you shuttered your business. And that's including... Um, business statements, personal expenses, $2 million in debt. So let's talk a little bit about failure. We talk about failure on the show. That's probably your biggest quote unquote financial failure is $2 million in debt, unless there's another one. No, does it's that not bigger crazy. than nothing better than two million. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take a guess here and say that was the uh, the quote the big failure. How did yeah. you get yourself out of that? Like we talked about 
earlier, you know, emotionally, but now let's talk about tactics, steps. Mm -hmm. What did you actually do to get rid of that debt and then to rebuild your wealth? Absolutely. Well, you know, for us, like I said, I was in real estate. So at the times, at the time, we owned 13 pieces of property. So I always want to let people know, you know, we're not talking about just cars and bags and shoes and credit cards and stuff like that. There were a lot of property that was involved. And I'm from Southern California. So the home that we lived in was almost a million dollars on its own. Unfortunately, you know, we put a lot of money into that home. And when the market crashed, Crash, the value of that home dropped down to 500000 And, um, you know, that's a lot to deal with when it's basically now worth half of what you started with, if not a little less than half. And so my husband and I really tried for until about 2012, honestly, to modify mortgages and do payment plans and make payment arrangements. And we tried everything we could. And I also had $400,000 of medical debt from having my daughter. Um, I went into premature labor and ended up on hospital bed rest for 10 weeks uh, here in Beverly Hills. And then um, she was born at 30 weeks. And so she lived in the NICU for three and a half weeks there. And so between she and I, we racked up $400,000 of medical debt. And so there was all of this at play all around the same time. And so with the hospital, we were able to get some of the debt forgiven um, and we worked out a payment plan for the rest, which we were able to take care of. Thank goodness. After years of paying on it. Um, But with the mortgage companies, we just couldn't. It just became too overwhelming with not being able to get any relief after years. And a mentor of mine said, you know, you're on like a million different payment plans. You're paying this this company 500 and this company 200 and this company 300. And he said, you'll never be able to get ahead nickeling and trying to dime, nickeling and diming your way out of two million dollars. You just won't. Um, and so we ended up filing bankruptcy. We did do a chapter seven bankruptcy um, so that we could start over. And that even was one of the hardest things that we've ever done. That was harder than sleeping on my brother's couch because we, you know, we just never saw that coming. We truly thought that we can make it happen. We can create a plan. We can pay it off and we can do all these things. But it started to hinder other opportunities because it was out there lingering. And even with the plans in place, it just continued to tank our credit year after year, even though we were making payments and trying to do everything the right way. And so we did file bankruptcy. It's not anything that I advocate. It's not anything that I would tell anyone to run out and do by any means. Um, But after doing after getting rid of basically two million dollars and having an opportunity to start over, it helped set my mind free, you know, because I wasn't sleeping at night. For years, literally, I wasn't sleeping at night. I was tossing and turning. It was a lot of pressure, um, just trying to figure it out and trying to get ahead. And I, that wasn't the first mentor that had to talk with us. We probably had four or five people advise us to do that before. And we didn't because we wanted another way out. And it just got to the point where that was, that was what we needed to do to move forward. And today I am glad that I did it. And I'm glad that I live to tell the story that you can rebuild after you file bankruptcy. What was the first revenue stream that you had after filing bankruptcy? How did you make money after that? Actually, I was volunteering for over a year at a nonprofit organization in Atlanta that taught financial management. And after being one of their leading volunteers, um, they hired me on full time to do that work and to go throughout greater Atlanta, um, talking to people about budgeting and credit and those types of things. And again, like I said, I had never said it um, in media up until about 2014. But in 2012, while I was uh, you know, first getting into that gig, I would tell the small groups and I would tell the people in the audience about my story And I thought that first that that would make people go, why would I talk to her? You know, but actually it made them go, wow, I'm so proud of you that you could stand and tell that story. It was actually the exact opposite of what I initially thought. Um, And I would just tell them, I would go, you know what? I lost all my money, but my mind isn't bad. You know, if I could figure out what to do to create a seven figure business by 25, you know, life happens, stuff happens and I'm going to do it again. And if you want to come with me, I'm willing to take you with me. 
if you judge me for that and never want to hear from me again, it's okay. Cause there's a lot of other people in this space that can serve you and that's all right. But yes. this is my story. Isn't it amazing what happens when you are completely authentic and open yourself up to, uh, not just the positive, but the negative. I mean, it's scary to be honest, yeah. right? Especially when you, it is. um, aren't so proud of your own past. You know, you weren't proud that you went through bankruptcy, but you decided to share it. And suddenly everybody came to you. Yeah. I mean, I even what you're reading in the New York Post and then ending up on Fox News sharing Mm -hmm. the exact same thing. I I think I've seen you on Fox News. I was on the same couch, you know, or in the same the same area. And, you know, being being okay with saying that, because you know what? It's my story. It's my story. I can't at this point, I can't go back in the past and, and change anything are there things I would have done differently? Absolutely. Could I have, you know, closed my business down much sooner? Could I have put some of the the tenants out that weren't paying their rent when they lost their jobs in the recession? I could, but I have been to their homes and seen their children and I couldn't bring myself to do it in that moment, you know, because I was just becoming a new mother myself and I couldn't imagine. And so I made decisions that probably weren't the smartest, but they those decisions at the time did help me sleep at night. And I I am one of those people that I, I got to get my beauty rest, girl. I just can't keep <laughs> staying up all night. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're know, talking about. You live and no. you learn. Yeah. You are absolutely right. I just no, had, you, I just entered my late 30s. Learn. So I know mm-hmm. all about the importance of under eye cream and SPF <laughs> yes. and sleep and water and all that stuff. It's all it's all the basics, right? Don't don't be in the sun. Right. Drink a lot of water. Get your rest. Exercise. Um, too bad I'm learning this now. Wish I'd known this when I was like 21. <laughs> um, by the way, I just saw the Big Short. Did you see it? I have not seen that. My husband has seen it. I didn't get a chance to see that yet. He what, said it's very much like our story. What did you think of it? What did he think of it? He loved it. I had some friends that didn't like it at all, but probably because they didn't understand, like, you know, that industry and that culture at the time. But my husband loved it. And he said, babe, this that was us. Yeah. Like, that's a part of yeah. what we went it's, it's a wonderfully scripted and, sh- and, 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 and directed story to be able to really describe and show what happened in that crisis, in that bubble, and then the crisis in a way that was so understandable, so comprehensible. But at the same time, I watched the movie and I want to like shake, you know, I want to throw objects. I'm so angry, you know, because um, really it was what happened was fraudulent in many ways. And I don't think we've really had we've really had enough perp walks since 2000 related to that. Absolutely. I mean, and that was a time when, you know, even for us, we're like watching the banks get bailed out and we're like, can we get some help though? Like, so (laughs) these very banks that, that we helped, you know, create success for them, they wouldn't help us because we were in real estate and it sucked, but Mm -hmm. they were getting bailed out, you know? So let me ask you this, Patrice, what's your take on real estate today? Do you feel as though it's still a legitimate way to build wealth in this country? I think that it is, but I think that it needs to be monitored so much more. Like when I look back, Farnoosh, although I was making a lot of money, like I was making a lot of money at the time, my husband and I had no business at that age, even with the money we were making, having 13 pieces of property, you know, that were that were leveraged that much, Um I really think that that some of the stipulations still need to change. I think that some of the programs still need to change. Like they did away with things like 100 percent financing, but we weren't using those. Even with putting 10 percent down, it was still too easy. Um, it was too easy. And even as someone who who loves real estate and loves buying properties, I'm almost OK with it being harder <laughs> because the that. You know, I'm almost okay with it being harder. I'm okay with the fact that if you want to own all these properties and have multiple pieces of property, that you should be at, you should be in a place where you have to put 30, if not 50% down on some of this stuff and not just waltz in with these mortgages because, you know, properties go vacant and tenants don't pay and you run into financial hardships like we did where all these things happen and, 
you know, I still love real estate. My brother is in real estate and we kind of invest in some of the things that he's doing. But for myself, I know that as we move forward, my husband and I, you know, we're definitely more on that. Put 20 percent down, put 30 percent down. But I do think it should be more regulated for investors. And if it's outside of your primary residence, you, you, you need more rules to help protect you, not just right. for them, but to help protect you from yourself. And I still think that banks sometimes pre-approve you for a loan amount that's far too high. And oh, yeah. whatever formulas they're using, I just like, as I've been through the process several times, I've bought and sold homes and I laugh at what the pre-approval comes back at. I'm like, well, um, thank you for being so optimistic about my, <laughs> my ability to afford these, you know, the seven figure home that you're projecting, <laughs> but I'm going to stick with, you know, what I'm comfortable with. But I think I, I have the wherewithal. I have the, uh, prudence to say, I'm not going to do that. But I think a lot of people would go get really excited and, and go, okay, well, if the, well, the bank says I can do it. Oh yeah. Gonna- you know what I used to tell my clients? I used to tell them the bank is looking at raw numbers. They don't know that you like to salsa dance every Friday. They don't like know that you, you like handbags. They don't know that, you know, they don't know that your kids are in little, little league and that there's dues and fees associated with it. You know, they don't know what your taste in furniture is. Like there's a lot of other things that the banks are not considering that you have to consider for yourself. So with my clients, especially first time home buyers, you know, the numbers might say here in Southern California that they qualify for 500,000 and I would give them a letter all day for 380. Like all all day, um, they're like someone else approved me for more. I'm like they don't love you like I do, hun. Three eighty because this yeah. considers this takes into consideration your life, the fact that real life happens, you know. And again, what my primary kind of was what it was, but with the investment properties, you have to be ready for a whole nother ball game. You just have to be ready, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, I always say I did a really good job of chasing money in my youth. You know, I was really good with with figuring out ways to create income and going to chase it. But I wasn't great at seeking wisdom. Um, And I wish that I would have sought when I looked back. I told you during that time and thought of what could I have done? I wish I would have sought out mentors or coaches or someone to help me think about the purchases we were making differently. And go, you know what? Five is good. <laughs> Five <laughs> properties are great. No one, you don't need 13. You're, you know what I mean? Um, but it was too easy for me to get. And, um, so that's a, you know, that's a lesson I learned. And that's one I would share with any, you know, young person, especially in this space is don't get in over your head too quickly. Take, take yes. some time. And if it's too easy to, to get a house or too easy to get a loan or too easy to get a credit card. Like you should be wondering why mm-hmm. and and what are the caveats? Um, yes. Cause it's yeah. not, it's, it's very rare that opportunities like that come so easily at, at no risk. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do some lightning rod questions. Well, these are more fill in the blank sentences. So I'll start off okay. a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won a hundred million bucks Mm-hmm. That would be great, right? Yeah. <laughs> the one thing, the first thing I would do is. The first thing I would do is retire my mom. I'm tired of seeing her. She's work. still working. What is she she's doing? Still, she's still working and she might fight me to stay, but um, <laughs> she works in the hospitality industry. She's been uh, with a major hotel chain for like 30 plus years and everyone knows her and calls her big mama and she loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Big mama. <laughs> she is well, big mama. Well, if she mama likes what she's she doing, there's no harm. Well, well, I'd like her to do it like once or twice a week. Let's not let's not get carried away. I don't want you driving every day, but I'm just being, I want to be the mom now. So, you know, That's I don't know. sweet. I'm just bossy. <laughs> In a good way though. I like, I like the word, you know, I asked someone that day, I'm like, what kind of boss are you? And he was like, I don't want, I don't like that word boss. And I was like, well, I like it. <laughs> I'm call me it. boss. Um, okay. The one thing that I spend on money that makes my life easier or better is car service to the airport. (laughs) Is that the only time? Do you use Uber? And I use Uber sometimes, but I also just have cars, a car, an account with the car service company. I don't like to drive. I'm not a big driver. And if it's going to be the situation where I have to sit in traffic, 
or drive like anything more than 15, 20 minutes, I get a driver. And it's just, it's one of those things I'm okay with paying for because driving, I've been in so many accidents in Southern California and in, in Georgia, I've hit so many deer or almost been oh, hit man. by deer that I don't like the pressure of driving. I don't. So I use a driver. That is, yes. So I totally agree. I actually think about, you know, one day if I ever just hit the the jackpot or just start making <laughs> god ungodly amounts of money, I would I wouldn't really change much about my life, but I think I would definitely invest in a personal chef and a personal driver. Yes. Yes. I'm getting on the chef tip too. I just have to be more consistent cuz I'm not I'm not very domestic. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's not my thing. I'm I'm I eat to live, but I don't live to eat. So I'm not in the kitchen like throwing down, no. girl. Um, no, I, that doesn't agree. happen. Like I like a I like an, a clean and organized home and yeah. I like I love warm meals. I love home cooked meals, but don't make don't 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 expect me to be at the forefront of that. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I have, I, you know, uh, have a housekeeper's help twice a week and stuff and all that. But, um, but I do want like a a vegan chef. I would love a vegan chef who could just come once a week Mm -hmm. and prepare all the meals. And I am like queen of the heat up. Like I'll even put it in a pot and heat it up. That's going to be your tweetable. I am queen of the heat up. Queen of the heat up. Um, I love that. Okay. My biggest splurge that I spend a lot of money on, but I wouldn't have it any other way is getting massages. I get a, I get a lot of massages now. Um, just with all the travel with always being on a plane and, um, and the speaking and the standing, and I'm like a really personable person, you know? So right now I'm on a book tour and Every place I go, I will stand there and look in the eyes and talk to every single person that comes and hold a, pers- hold a personal conversation. But I'm doing that in like four or five inch stilettos. Ooh, and you're already tall. I am, honey, unashamed, unapologetic. And I will still throw some heels on in a second. And I love doing that. I'm I'm really not good at just sitting down and signing and stuff. It just... Um, it keeps my energy up to be standing, but you know, I'm also in my mid thirties. And so my body doesn't handle that the same. So after I've done that for a week straight somewhere, the next week, I always go and get a massage. That's my splurge and my way of kind of taking care of myself and replenishing. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... When I donate, I like to give to two places. One, my church, um, because that's just a big part of who I am. And my faith means a lot to me. So I do give a lot to my church. Um, and the other places, uh, organizations like March of Dimes or St. Jude's, because I went through two really, really difficult pregnancies. Um, and my first child, unfortunately, passed away at birth. Uh, I was six hours after birth. And then with my daughter, I had another really... Um, you know, touch and go pregnancy where she might have made it. Maybe she wasn't going to make it. And so I am really big on donating to organizations that do research on what causes a a totally healthy woman to have all these issues that they haven't found anything. But yet there's issues, you know, there. And I've, I've heard the story too much. So that's another place that I donate to. Listen, childbirth is society makes it out to seem like it's so easy. It's not. It's a freaking, no. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a it, lot. It's, uh, I'm so happy now that we're talking about miscarriages, you know, and that we're talking about the, just the agony that so many men and women go through that is unheard of, is unspoken, you know? And I mean, yeah, having a baby is an absolute miracle. Like think about it what it takes. It is a miracle. Yeah. I tell anyone the fact that you're here is a miracle. Like, so that means you have purpose. And that's why I'm always so big on in my books and with my talks, like encouraging people to use their gifts and their talents and their skills, because it's not just about you. You made it here so that you could hopefully be a blessing to society or to the universe with something that was stored within you, you know, and when you don't exercise that and use it, it's a shame because that's why you're here. 
matter. Like yes. you're a walking, talking miracle, you know? Because and I don't care what religion you are, if you even have a religion, but I feel like that is undeniable. Like what you just said, the fact that you are alive and that you were born is so rare and miraculous that that is so special. Like you just have to really make the most of that. Yeah, you do. You totally do. And I, I, I agree with you. I'm glad that women are like, like myself are okay with just saying that we've had that experience. Um, and just letting people know that there's hope on the other side of that because it's so painful and people for many years, it was so private and folks just wouldn't share with you. It's like, you know, you get to talking to a mom and she's like, well, yeah, I had nine miscarriages before this. It's like, well, where the where the heck have you been? Like, yeah. I needed you. I yeah. needed to hear your story so that I would know it was that there was life after this and I could go on. And it was so like, I guess, taboo at one point to talk about it and share, um, you know, so I, I'm glad to I'm glad that it's out there. Well, I had a miscarriage on the never. I've never said that out loud before. At least not on my podcast. And I agree with you. Like the, uh, you go down this dark hole where you're like, who is, you you don't, you're, you, you don't know who to turn to. It's Uh like, you feel like you did something wrong. There's nothing on the internet except sad, sobbing stories. It's not right. You know, and like, I just felt like there were no resources. It felt good saying that in some ways. Learn, learn something new on, on so money every day. All right. Let's finish it off with something really upbeat and inspiring. Tell me this, Patrice. I'm Patrice Washington. I'm so money because. Mm, I'm Patrice Washington and I'm so money because I didn't let past financial failures dictate my future. And I've lived to tell the story. Yes. What an inspiration. Thank you so much for sharing your story and then some. Uh, thank you, Farnoosh. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad I, I finally made it and we finally connected. And you know what? It's just the beginning. Absolutely. It's just the beginning. I can't wait to see <laughs> what the rest of the year has in the store for you, Patrice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Patrice, her website is realmoneyanswers.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at SeekWisdom, P-C-W. Check out the audio transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes for free at somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for the Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Really appreciate your listenership. Thanks for the feedback. If you haven't left a review on iTunes yet, please, it would mean the world to me to hear from you, to get your feedback. And also it keeps the show in the spotlight in the iTunes store, which is getting more and more crowded every day. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's good that we have more podcasts. It just means we have to work harder to get people to find us and reviews make a big difference. So thank you in advance. And I'll see you right back here tomorrow. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money.